0: fascinating episode today, we're discussing burnout and how to spot the science and what to do about it. As well as that, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, the power of laughter. Beyond well-being, leading a thriving, generative and conscious workplace culture with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku.
1: So welcome to this episode of Beyond Wellbeing. Uh, Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Annie Harvey to um, our studio. And um, Annie is a speaker, she's a TEDx speaker, she's an author and uh, well-being educator. And um, she really cares about burnout and compassion fatigue. So uh, we thought we'd start things uh, with that topic.
0: Yes, so Annie, tell us a little bit about. You've got a couple of burnout stories, but tell us. Let's let's lead off with the first one then.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird to say that I'm proud of having some burnout stories. (laughs) Um, They're not nice places to be. That's normally
0: what you hear about teenagers, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They're burnout stories.
2: Um, My first was back in the late '90s in the UK, um, and I worked in corporate marketing. And we went through a restructure and a seven that had a team of, I was part of a team of eight, and seven of those people were made redundant overnight, um, which was a, a pretty horrible thing to just observe. Those people were, you know, kind of marched out of the building with security guards and everything else. And I was left to pick up the pieces for a few weeks doing seven people's work. Um, and I took some, I, I some time off from the gp suggested that and i ended up and i don't advocate doing this i was surviving on gin and cigarettes and boiled eggs somehow i survived on that menu um but obviously and i thought it was fine at the time it obviously wasn't very healthy and i went back to that work and again those people hadn't been replaced i was I was still going back to those jobs of eight people. And because I'd bounced back, which is what we like to call resilience these days, you know, on the outside, I looked okay because I was surviving on gin, cigarettes and boiled eggs. But inside, I wasn't okay. And because I'd bounced back, I was just given more and more work. And I didn't have the ability or the skills to really speak up at the time. I certainly didn't have any wellbeing tools in my toolkit. Um, and I had major burnout after that and left, left the company and in fact I ran away I don't know if anyone listening is of the age where they know of Shirley Valentine the movie but I ran away not to Greece but to Spain um, and went for two weeks and stayed a year and basically changed careers completely from that trip mm-hmm. but yeah not, not, a, not a pleasant memory to go through even talking about it now um, and I, I do have a thing about this phrase bouncing back nowadays. So what would your
1: 2020 self say to this uh, burnout version of yourself at the time?
2: It's oh, a great question. Probably drink Hendrix gin, not Gordon's gin, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she would probably say, listen to, listen to the people around you that are telling you about these warning signs uh, you know they're not enjoying what they're seeing or hearing from you so listen and uh, when you bounce back make sure that you have learned something from that experience so you just don't get back into that spiral I mean, it was another 10 years before I burnt out again but in that time I didn't really learn any new skills I just you know, worked worked and I had a I was particularly ambitious with both those careers. So, yeah, I would say listen to others. It's a really hard thing to listen when you're in that place, though.
0: Yeah, so, so now that you've, you're an expert at burning out, <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what does it actually look like? What are some of the signs that one should notice as you're heading for that kind of cliff or whatever you want to call it?
2: So I think for me, I like to explain how it, how it sound, what it sounded like, how it looked. Mm. So I felt, you know, people say they feel overwhelmed or what does that mean? I felt like I was out of gas or out of fuel all the time. Um, My, I dreaded work and I felt like I was a bit of a zombie going through the motions, I guess. I didn't enjoy anything that used to bring me joy. I didn't enjoy the joy anymore now I didn't see any of these as warning signs by the way it's just what I felt um I felt like I was taking one step forward all the time and then three steps back and I was pretty miserable um but at the same time feeling like I was always switched on and the biggest thing for me is that I was my, is my memory lost so I talk about that now and I, I've I often have, you know, I might suddenly pause during this podcast and actually try and remember what I was saying. And even though I train people now and practice mindfulness myself, so I'm a lot more focused on what I'm saying and when I'm listening. um, I think a lot of my memory loss has come from those burnout situations. But, you know, it actually affected my brain, which is a bit scary. So that was a combination. But, you know, the obvious things about um, trouble with sleep patterns, um, headaches, lots of muscle tension. Definitely the Sunday night blues thing, um, or you know, bef- the yeah, Sunday night before school. I used to feel that if so I think about it a little bit as well, and just feeling um, irritable. So I often say to people, you know, are you being re- angry or irritable or resentful for no particular reason that's often a sign like you, you know you literally make mountains out of molehills it'll be the one small thing that flips you over so those are those are really big warning signs but you have to be really quite self-aware to spot those signs yourself everyone else spots them first yeah
1: what was the benefit of staying in this situation despite the pain that you were feeling
2: why do you think you stayed well, I think I went back for a whole year after I'd gone off sick for a few weeks, and you know I can look back and say, well, that was a changing point in my career by going to Spain and ending up wanting to teach kids, etc. But I'm not sure if there was any benefits to the the role at the time. I mean, I was still earning money, but um, I wasn't doing. I certainly wasn't doing the work effectively. Um, I felt I probably thought, well, I'm working. 16 hour day, so I'm obviously being productive and that was a really big trap so it's an interesting question but I I, the benefit was that I I moved on and chose something else that was more Mm. aligned with me I guess and and healed and got better
1: Mm. I guess what was behind my question is like sometimes people even though they know that they should leave do stay and it's a very common trap that people fall in so I was just wondering about that and how would you help people today that are in a similar situation where they know they should go, but they are feeling unable, like almost like frozen in their um,
2: situation. Well, you you can't, I don't think you can do it by yourself. I think you, you need the right people, the right support around you, what, whatever that looks like, mentors to be able to um, help you step off a little more gracefully. Um, you know, and I, when I, you um, the, the business that I'm now in now, I I dropped everything and just started that. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. I probably should have gone part-time and, um, you know, gone in gradually. But, yeah, definitely have the people around and, that, you know, if you need to upskill or whatever, which which takes time and takes
0: hours. So then uh, I suppose part of your work then, uh, as, you, as you talk about, is, is actually – helping prevent burnout and and um what are some of the practical steps in your work that help people to i suppose it is seeing the signs but also um be different
2: yeah so i think you know burnout is can teach you your limits i don't know if we necessarily all know our limits but it teaches you your limit and it teaches you that you uh, that so you're human, um, and that you deserve this thing called self-care, that we all think is incredibly selfish, but I know it's the it's the analogy, which isn't a great one to use at the moment, but the oxygen mask of you you just must look after yourself before helping others, and that's what I try to hammer through. But I think hammer through. I think <laughs> if you're in the room listening to me, you know you, you take in you hear what you need to hear. And if you are already in that place of burnout, it's actually really hard to hear advice from people. I mean, I would urge people to go and seek advice, not necessarily from a GP or a therapist, but someone who you trust that you can you know, help process some things and perhaps they can gently point out some warning signs. Um, so prevention for me is around gathering knowledge first, around... Um, what, str- what stress is, what stress does to the brain, and how normal stress is. And then, I mean, I think the World, the World Health Organization, who we, who we know quite well now, says that, and they declared burnout as a, you know, you could actually be de- diagnosed with it. Um, and they say that it's a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress over a period of time. So burnout doesn't happen quickly overnight. It can take a while, but it's because it takes so long, it then takes just as much time to heal from it, I believe. Um, but I'm also a bit of a rebel in that I think, yes, it's great that they've, they've recognised that, um, but it's not just about not successfully managing workplace stress. We have all the other things that we all have in our lives this year, and you know I'm someone that's caring for my elderly parent, etc., and taking all that extra stress to my work, if I'm not successfully managing that, then I'm definitely on the route to another burnout. And I'm, I'm pretty confident I can say on air that I'm never going to burn out again. Because I'm going to recognize the signs, if nothing else. Yeah. And, then, and then pick myself up and, and use that toolkit. I have to have it written down everywhere. <laughs> that was my biggest thing. Because my memory goes each time I have these burnouts. Um, so I have them on my screensavers on my phone. I have it on my fridge. So my husband will remind me that he might see a warning sign or just take me to the fridge and we'll look at something that I'm going to put into practice straight away. Uh, and that's not for everybody, but that's really helped me this year. So when
1: you say you have things written on the fridge and on your computer, like what does it look like? What, what does it say? Uh,
2: I've got a little infographic that's kind of split up into different areas, but my main ones, um, so I teach people five steps um which is the still effect and the first one is around educating people on stress as i said but also that we have stress in our system that we need to get out of our system on a daily basis if we don't um it becomes chronic stress and chronic stress can lead to pretty horrible illnesses and what i mean by that is you know we might we might people listening might have stress that's been in their body for years it's going to take longer to get rid of but an example would be when I'm driving away from a stressful meeting or sometimes even driving to one that I know is going to happen um I will <laughs> I will sing out loud at the top of my voice to 80s tracks in my car pretty much scream it out actually and that's a combination of you know get, getting the stress out expressing some emotions possibly that's been suppressed Uh, but also creativity and all all that combination tells the brain that it's safe and it does what I call kind of turns down the volume on your stress response so I would do it not just after a meeting but before something that's stressful I mean some people might go for a jog Um, you know even having a really good cry is it doesn't take away the things that have pushed your buttons or the people but it's a really good mechanism to stop that cycle of stress in your physical body and told, um, you know, trick, trick the brain basically and tell it is safe. This very, very old brain that we have that was built for a reason to run away from saber-toothed tigers. Unfortunately, it still gets triggered for things that aren't necessarily a threat to our life.
0: Mm. And, and this is slightly different, the singing at the top of your voice inside a car, that, that this, the similarity seems today we see a lot of people Well, we hear a lot of stories, and we possibly have done it ourselves sometimes, is screaming at the top of our lungs, but just at the other drivers on the road. Mm. But that's not necessarily quite as helpful, huh? (laughs) No,
2: it's not, absolutely. Because it keeps that
0: cycle going, doesn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: It's kind of weird, isn't it? We kind of think that expressing anger, I don't know, like that might help us, but I'm not sure that it does no
2: do it to, do it to music and so, i mean maybe people sitting next to me traffic lights think i am actually shouting at people <laughs> on the road <laughs> they don't realize that i've got an 80s track playing inside the car
0: <laughs> yeah or else you're having a really uh one of those because now everyone with their bluetooth on you're having a really uh intense conversation with somebody
2: <laughs> yeah yeah but the, I mean, that, that's that's another thing. So one of my steps is around, you know, it is around mindfulness. And I do p- teach people how to do mindfulness meditation. But it's also, uh, I wrote a book after my TEDx talk. And one in there is something about what to do at traffic lights. Uh-huh. So I'm sure my husband won't mind saying that he, he doesn't particularly like traffic lights. He likes to be a, a cab driver and avoid as many lights as possible. But when he does get stuck at them, he now uses the tool, which is just to... You can't do anything about it. You may well be late to a meeting, but you cannot control the traffic lights or the traffic. Um, and you know, just check in with what's going on in your head at that time and take a couple of deep breaths. Well, I can teach you what that means as well. And then just look. I did it today. Just stare and look at the colours of the traffic light. Look at the shade of the red. Look at the little bulbs. And it's actually only for a few seconds uh, rather than... You know, because once you go into the spiral of I'm going to be late and what's my boss going to say and all that kind of stuff, then by the time someone does cut you up on the road you are going to scream at them Mm. so you've got those little moments throughout the day that you can just check in with yourself and pause for a moment
0: That's awesome and as we talk about this in terms of uh, well-being there seems to be as you say, some self-care for us um, that we've got to grow in our own self-awareness but then uh, um, the workplace no doubt has some sort of involvement here as well is it's, it's potentially a stressor um, how do we get that balance of you know we're always looking for someone to blame but it's not necessary workplace and so how can we how do we work uh, together on I that? mean
2: yes I think we do live in a blame society but I've always been of you know the, is to understand how much choice you have over what you control in your own life and to take some responsibility. I think that was my biggest thing is I can't just blame those redundancies 20 years ago. Um, I can take responsibility and learn some skills and be interested and curious myself. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of the people I've worked with or the companies that I've worked with in the last few years have been where lead, leadership themselves have potentially gone through some kind of burnout story themselves or some wake up call for their well being or maybe their physical health, where they have, you know, it's a wake up call for them, but also for their business about what they need to train staff um, in, I guess. So, if, yeah, if, I, if I'm really honest, that would be where most of my work has been, is where leadership have already recognized something.
1: Mm. i really like the idea of getting the stress uh, out uh, before it accumulates i was wondering about the other steps
2: before we get us uh, i tried the t is to take care so that's around you know and i say it's not not about bubbles and band-aids i don't i'm not telling people not to drink bubbles in australia or um have bubble baths but to have a lot we have strategic plans for our businesses but we don't have strategic plans for ourselves and I, I have a strategic self-care plan which I would review every six months as you would in a business um, and a lot one of that is around healthy relationships mm. I think that's really come to the fore for me this year it, and I review this list every six months so there's a great book that I read I never remember what it's called but it's by a lady called Susan the Hill and she talks about I mean we, we know that Jim Rohn once said that you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. Um, And she talks about having three types of people in your lives. You have your mates, your magicians, and your masters. So you basically write three columns and see if you can get two or three names in each of those lists. So your mates are the people she describes as they're there with the champagne and tissues. Mm. The The magicians are the people that sprinkle pixie dust these are her words sprinkle pixie dust on your ideas and leave you feeling better after a conversation and the third one is masters where they're the gurus and the people you want to rub shoulders with so Brene Brown for example is one of my gurus I'm never going to meet her but I would listen to her podcast and read her books, etc and the I look I review that list every six months and I've moved people around some people will say oh, well my husband's in all three and like, no that's not the rule you have to have different names in each section
1: <laughs> and you have
2: to know who those people are and some you know I've like I've got people that would be there with champagne and tissues but they don't understand what I do as a businesswoman so they they can't sprinkle fairy dust on my ideas because they don't really understand it but I know that they're my mates in my corner if that makes sense that's an
1: awesome distinction. yeah
2: So that's take care. Inhale is the mindfulness. So that's, you know, little tips from my book about how to take mindful pauses during your day. Um, And that's, you know, mindfulness, there's lots of myths around it. And I think for me, it's about, yes, you can learn to focus and concentrate and be more productive. But it's really about self-awareness. And we have so many things that we're supposed to do in our lives. But unless you're self-aware... And I, I believe there are some studies now of in America, you know, one particular CEO who was taught mindfulness for eight weeks. That's where all the evidence and science is behind eight week programs. Um, and before that course, he was walking down the corridor and his staff would see him and walk the other way. And he didn't even he wasn't even aware of it. And suddenly eight weeks of practicing, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes of meditation every day. He was very aware of himself, but also aware of what was going on in his environment. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Mm.
2: The next step is listen. So that was around moving into this current business um, is around listening to your values and listening to your character strengths. There's a great website via character.org, which is I probably came across that four years ago, uh, a free website to find your core 24 character strengths. So we all have the same strengths, but they're all in a slightly different order, which is what makes us unique. Mm. And I realized that what I was doing on a daily basis was not really aligned with my core values and strengths anymore. Um, and that was quite an alarming thing to find out. Um, and I suppose it's what you're saying is how do you stay, should you stay, should you go. Um, that was the time where I really thought well I need to make a move and find something that is now luckily for me every day aligned with my strengths and values now but it's taken a while to get there. Can
1: I just ask what are your main strengths?
2: So my yeah and you can overuse these strengths I was talking about this this morning so my main my top three are love of learning, curiosity and fun. Mm. Um, but my love of learning in, it makes, you know, sometimes I have this, I don't know enough and I must learn more and I must learn more. And I don't have a very, I'm very good at regulating my emotions, but I don't have very good self-regulation. That's actually one of the strengths near the bottom, It's not a weakness. It's just the strength that's near the bottom of the list. So when I have pay now set up on Amazon, I just click pay now, pay now, pay now. So I have no regulation over how much money I spend on my learning. So you can overuse your strengths as well. Um, but yeah, so, and I do that probably survey every two years and you, you can't fix it. It's, it's pretty real and it might give you a different order, but normally my top six are the same. They just move around a little bit.
0: Now in your acronym, was there another, I think we've been through four?
2: There was L for Laughter.
0: Laughter. We're all relatively familiar with that one, I hope. <laughs> is there something you could kind of expand on in that one? <laughs>
2: uh, so, and I talk about um, gratitude in that in that as well. But laughter is around a uh, thing I was trained in five years ago this month, actually, called laughter yoga. And I came across it at Happiness and Its Causes conference, actually, um, in a, like a little breakout session, and why it was so important to me at the time I think why it hit hit home is both my parents had been diagnosed with dementia and I had really noticed that their laughter was disappearing which actually had a ripple effect of my laughter disappearing so this thing is uh, an amazing amazing uh, alternative therapy I guess you'd call it invented by a medical doctor 25 years ago this year and it is done over a period of time it has absolutely amazing health benefits and it's laughter without any jokes or any humor so uh, that's what i did my TEDx talk on basically and i've been using that so i have my own laughter uh routine that i do in the bathroom mirror for about three minutes every morning and i make sure that i'm getting a good belly laugh every day and again, over all these new skills that you learn over over a period of time, it has just the most amazing benefits. We all know how it feels, how good it feels after a good belly laugh.
0: Yes, absolutely. Three minutes though—that's actually quite intense as a as a laugh. G- it guys. is.
2: So you need to come to my laughter yoga club, Dale, because I make you laugh for an hour. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah you, it's it's yeah, it's, it's intentional laughter over a period of time. And ideally you want to be doing it for 10 minutes every day. Yeah. Um but the people that come go regularly and do it for 40 minutes to an hour every week. It's it's very powerful. And as I said, I well, I said earlier on before we came on is that I'm working with um 3 to 5 year olds at kindies with it at the moment and my oldest customer last week was 89 doing laughter.
0: Right, so this is the age range of of laughter medicine. So from three to eighty nine, well, or
2: maybe older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, I was wondering about
1: the business case when you're talking to be, to sceptics and cynics um, at uh, uh, like in corporate organisations. I was just wondering how
2: how do you overcome the barriers when people- yeah that's, that's a great question I, and I think the laughter yoga you kind of just have to experience it because I often get people that will stand with their arms folded at the back of the room and go you're going to make me laugh without any jokes this is this just sounds really silly um, and they're normally the people that are on the floor when I do a laughter meditation at the end on the floor that are hysterically laughing and get the most benefit. But it's not quite so. It's one that you just have to experience, really, and it and it's it has to be generally done in groups because that creates the contagion of the laughter, and your natural laughter comes out. Um, I tell people that perhaps they don't feel like laughing today, but our body doesn't know the difference between simulated laughter, so kind of fake laughter to start with, and our real laughter. It still sends the same messages to the brain, so we still get the same, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, all from faking our laugh to start with but that doesn't normally last very long uh and the mindfulness thing again it's a similar thing kind of don't knock it till you try it um it it doesn't work for everybody but i would encourage everybody to give it a go and there are you know there are formal ways of learning and i teach formal mindfulness meditation as does do many people across the world but there are also ways of being more mindful during your day and putting in those tiny pauses and learning to be present like you know I teach people how to give the gift of the gift of listening mindful listening because you're already listening to me now working out what you're going to ask me next so I've caught you out by being probably you're not 100% present with me because our brain is constantly working ahead and you know agreeing with me and it's, so it's not just about body language so I'll do little activities and how we can give that gift of listening. And if you have teenagers at home, they know they are very aware if you are not 100% listening to them.
0: <laughs> a little thought came to me around mindfulness is that it's actually getting out of your mind, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually, mindfulness is about kind of, as you're saying, about being present, which is actually getting out of your head, put it that way. Mm. So it's, and it's uh,
2: Yeah, and that's why I like to mix the two because it's actually a lot quicker and easier to get out of your head into your body when you're doing laughter. Right. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a quicker process, I guess. And a lot of people say, well, I can't meditate because my mind's too busy or I have too many thoughts. So I have too much to think about. Like, well, I'm, I'm not here to get rid of your thoughts because I'd be a miracle worker and a millionaire if that was the case. It's just learning to, you know, be, um, spot your patterns of thought and to have a different relationship with them over time. And to turn turn down that volume of the stress response, yeah. but it takes a lot of
0: practice, yeah, and so what are the the key benefits like even if on those two practices um, if if you if we're talking to an organization about the key benefits of the yoga, what's a direct benefit of the laughter yoga what's a direct benefit of the the mindful practices?
2: Um, yeah, see. If I think about a, a job I did recently, a one-off event doing a mixture of mindfulness and laughter yoga, I think the biggest feedback from that, because I like to hear about, you know, I might have in my head about what it's going to do, but, but what came back was that it lifted, it lifted the mood instantly, but it lifted the morale within the department really quickly as well. And I think they'd realised how low that morale was, because it's a really great bonding thing to do that as a team laughing together um so definitely lifting the mood and then the the mindfulness part is about you know if you've got more focus and concentration you've got more effective productivity and self-awareness is really the foundation for emotional intelligence so again over time that's that's a good thing for all of us to have um but yeah you just got to try it and that's not a plug for me that's just you can try it and met so many different ways now so many wonderful apps that's how most people get started is to read a book on it or download a, a free app you know and listen to that for a few weeks and people will normally find benefits after two or three weeks of just listening daily and then that's where they want to go deeper and do a course and be accountable and show up each week the hardest thing is is carving out the time to sit down and do it because we will find everything under the sun you may think "Oh, i can sit down for 10 minutes on a chair that your mind will tell you it cannot do that and it will go off and do something else very quickly
1: well i'm happy to ask you actually about um, your mission or how do you see your role um, in the years something like what what are you thinking the future trends of of well-being and uh, what's your desire in that space
2: It's a very hard one to measure, but I would love to be able to help reduce the anxiety rate of people across the world. I think it's a it's a word that you know potentially is overused. I mean, we all have anxiety. Um, It's just how that is managed and what we think about. We can get anxious about our anxiety, and um, then it's you know a slippery slope. So if I could help uh, as a school teacher as well, if I could help people from a very early age to recognise what it is why we need it um and what and how to be able to sit with really uncomfortable rushing adrenaline and cortisol and stress hormones that go through your body if we can learn to sit with that you you might laugh it off first and then sit with it that's going to help people at a very early age uh so yeah that would be it but i don't know how you know i that's measured whether Annie Harvey has helped reduce the anxiety rate across Australia. But I like to do little, little bit. It's a bit like the starfish thrower. where I just help a few people at a time and, and hopefully that has a ripple effect. Mm. Um, and also, you know, I work a lot with teachers who'll say, can you come and teach the children mindfulness? And I'll say, well, I can, but I would rather teach the teachers and the adults first because you're the ones that are going to be the role models for this skill. And it's no good if you're sitting there pressing play on an app and then, you know, turning your desk around and getting on with your planning for the week. You have to be present and role model how how you cope with strong emotions, especially this year. How you know all the children are looking to their carers or the adults in their life to see how we're how we're coping with mm. the added stress.
0: As we're in this kind of of year and. Uh, one of the things that you've been talking about as well is this kind of compassion fatigue and um, the extra stresses that are are around. Can you talk us through a, a little bit of what that looks like so we've got our workplace ones and perhaps we recognize when um, our attitudes at work have kind of reduced our well have uh, leading towards the burnout Talk us through that different kind of stress that we might be experiencing more around home or around what we're seeing on the news. And, um, yeah, no doubt the skills that you're you're teaching will kind of help us through that as well, though.
2: I like to call it, or some people, it's not it's not my phrase. Uh, it's the emotional residue of that caring. So whether you're caring for a, a child or a parent or you've observed something, you know, you don't have to go through the trauma yourself. You're observing it. um, And you're taking on that emotional residue into your body. So we've talked about how to, how to get rid of that. But I think, you know, there's, there's empathy. We can all put ourselves in people's shoes most of the time. Uh, But then it's being, it's, it's how you care for yourself after that. So my thing is around, you know, te- if you're compassionate, you want to take action. But we know we can't I can't jump on a plane and help all the people in bushfires in America, for example. So how can I take more? How can I take one step forward that is compassionate, shows compassion to them, but shows compassion to myself at the moment? Uh, and that's that's quite hard, you know, for depending on your situation. But I think we we all have. We all have the potential to have empathy, Um, and it's yeah, it's it's little tricks about caring for for what's going through the spiral of your mind first, I guess. Um, And what I'm surprised about is so many people don't know about this type of fatigue. I mean, it has very similar symptoms to PTSD. Uh, in fact that's what I was diagnosed with 10 years ago and uh, it wasn't PTSD I now know that it was compassion fatigue because I was in a particular teaching role and giving and giving and giving and who wasn't who was I not giving to and that was myself whatever that looks like and we're all different on what that compassion looks like for ourselves
1: as we're getting close to wrapping up, I was wondering if you could give our listeners one or two tricks about how to stop that spiral that you just mentioned, or maybe some of the deep uh, breathing that you mentioned as well earlier.
2: Um, I think it's about catching thinking in the app because it's the thinking that creates the extra stress. You know, So there's, there's certain things in the world that we cannot change or cannot control, but what we then think about it makes that spiral and creates that stress response. It's even higher. So catching your thinking in the act. Um, there's a great thing, which I mean you can Google very easily called stop, where you, you literally catch catch that spiral before it's spiraled. If you see what I mean, Or catch that thought. Um, so S is for stop and T is for take a breath or two. And that takes you a couple of seconds. And then O is to observe. So if you observe, uh, so, I might at the moment choose the color pink, and i 'm going to see if I can find four things in my room that are pink, mm. yep, spotted four and what and then peers proceed, carry on with what you were doing and what that 's done is is that 's brought your part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, this is just behind your forehead that 's the thing that kind of goes offline when our stress response is the alarm is going off, so just spotting yourself those colors. Or spotting, you know, three things you can taste or three things you can hear, brings that prefrontal, that thinking part of the brain that we need, that's rational, and then we can move on. But you have to catch it first, and that's the that's the practice part.
0: So as as we do uh, close up, there's a there's a, a few places we can find out about you. Uh, where would you recommend people go to find out about what you're doing and and what how they can get what you're teaching
2: so my uh, website is the still au, and should be on the landing page of there is just just spend you can find five and a half minutes to watch my tedx talk and if you can't find that five and a half minutes questions <laughs> why you can't find five and a half minutes would be my advice yeah
0: that's brilliant mm-hmm. well thank you very much Annie. that's been uh a wonderful conversation, and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat to My us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Beyond Wellbeing with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. So, check out Annie Harvey's TEDx talk at thestilleffect.com.au. And of course, you can get in touch with Lena Mberku on LinkedIn or via her website at macroleaders.com.au or myself, Daryl Brown. You can uh, search me up on LinkedIn. And I'm also at UpsideDownLeader.com. If you enjoy uh, the podcast, please share it around. And um, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week.